good afternoon. Well, it's good afternoon where I am. Um, good afternoon or evening where um, those of you are watching um, are. My name's uh, Ian Loder. I'm Professor of Criminology at the University of Oxford. Um, I want to talk um, about political visions in Black Lives Matter. Um, like so many around the world, um, I watched with horror um, the killing of George Floyd. Um, I've watched with anger the response to the protests that have have occurred throughout the world in, re in response to that killing um, and have also been um, given hope by some of that protest. In a sense, I, I, the project I want to kind of articulate tonight is an attempt really to give um, give effect to, to that feeling of hope, but more of that um, in a minute. Um, of course, also like so many, um, I have um, observed these events from a distance through old and um, new media that there has been protests locally. There's another one 200 yards from where I sit this evening. Um, and also I, I do so as, an, as a white Oxford professor. So I don't come to these issues through experience or through situated observation. And I take seriously the, the idea that this really is a time for, for humility and for, for learning and for listening. Um, but there are, I think, things to be said, and I've been moved over the last few weeks to, to, to think and theorise and do a bit of writing about this issue and to try and fold um, thinking about the issue into some of my, um, my, my long-standing commitments. One of those commitments is, is, to be, is policing and to try and figure out what's going on when, when policing is contested in various ways as it, as it very radically is um, at the moment. But I also have a long-standing interest in trying to um, understand and recover um, what's at stake in political contests around crime and justice, and to think about the resources for a better politics of those um, issues, and to try in various ways to um, to reconstruct the the preferred futures or plausible worlds that one finds buried in the struggles that take place around questions of policing crime and justice. And it's that, that task, if you like, that I want to try and bring to bear on Black Lives Matter. Um, so more of that um, in, a, in a short while. Um, first though, I mean, a little bit of context, this will be familiar to anyone who's been alert over the last um, several weeks. Um, much of what we've observed during that period has been um, gloomily familiar. Um, we know from the work of Joe Soss and Vesla Weaver and others that the experience of people living in race class subjugated communities is one where really police is how they understand um, and um, interact um, with government. Um, we know that in black neighborhoods, especially poor black neighborhoods, um, policing is animated as long has been for a long time, not by public safety, but by orientations to racialized penal control to people keeping people in order in their place. Police killing has long been a part of the black American experience. Um, that killing has often um, been attended by legal Im impunity um, and by the silence or denial or even active endorsement of many among the white um, population. That, mu that much is familiar um, against that backdrop. One thing that's been surprising is the protests have created an environment in which George Chavin has been arrested and charged with murder. He, he may yet be successfully um, prosecuted. Um, there's a long history that says that we shouldn't um, count on that happening. 
But like so many others, I've also been struck by the possibility um, that, that this may be a tipping point. Of course, um, if it is a tipping point, we don't know in what direction things may tip. There's plenty of evidence, um, both in the States and around the world, um, that, that, that we may be tipping towards a ratcheting up of state brutality. There's been lots of huffing and puffing and turbocharged tweeting from the American president calling upon the forces of law and order to um, dominate the dominate the streets. Um, he clearly hopes that he can kind of get out the Nixon playbook from the 1960s um, and use the fear of racial violence as a way of mobilizing white support behind a presidential campaign um, in November. Um, who's to know whether that might succeed, but there are many reasons to think that we're not just going here through a replay of the late 1960s. So there are also signs that we may be tipping um, towards different possible futures. Um, some of those signs have been in the kind of you know, unlikely scenes of, of officers um, downing their weapons and walking with protesters, um, taking a knee in front of protesters. Um, some of the unevenness and disquiet that one locates um, even amongst the tear gas and the mace and the, the militarized police um, response. Some of that hope comes from the kind of, in a sense, the duration, the scale, um, the moral clarity of the protest, not only across many towns and cities in the US, um, but across large parts of the world where people have taken to the streets, not only in solidarity with what's happening in the States, but also because the killing of George Floyd has, has kind of uncovered um, a reservoir of local injustice and resentments, which are now finding expression um, through people taking to the streets. And there may be movement or reasons for hope because many things um, that for several years have, have operated as, as kind of rallying calls and slogans and mobilizing claims um, among the Black Lives Matter social movement are suddenly finding an ear in, um, in City Hall among, among establishment politicians. Um, a good example, which I'll return to a bit in a minute, um, is defund the police. Defund the police has moved very rapidly um, from being a, 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 a mobilizing slogan to something which in Minneapolis and, and elsewhere, um, there is at least a promise that something that travels under that name may now be afoot. Um, and many people, including myself, um, are kind of str struggling or scrambling to actually work out what what that might look like as a kind of as a kind of um, political um, and policy program. And it's against that backdrop and with that in mind that I've come to think much more about Black Lives Matter over recent um, weeks. Um, in a short order of time, Black Lives Matter has become a vibrant social movement. Um, um, most obviously in the US, but but across the world. Um, it's clearly um, animated first and foremost by a determination to call out and end racist police brutality. Um, and as such, like many social movements, it's focused on mobilizing, organizing on tactics and strategies. Um, it's an orientation is, is to expose, to publicize, to critique, and to bring to attention um, state, racialized state abuses. It also has a very powerful orientation to the past to kind of bringing to attention um, um, the place of racialized violence in American history, um, as well as bringing to attention its own lineage in um, civil rights and anti-racist struggle. Um, 
But as, as, as Christopher Lebron points out in his book, The Making of Black Lives Matter, um, Black Lives Matter is also an idea. Um, um, it's a movement that draws on ideas, that is animated by ideas, that is generative of, of ideas. And I think when you start to think about Black Lives Matter through that lens, um, a different kind of, of political and intellectual task um, comes into view. Um, and that task is to try and distill um, in the anger of the protests, in the, in the proclamatory statements of the protesters and associated movements, um, what kind of alternative political visions, what kind of plausible worlds, what kind of preferred futures um, can be uh, um, found or disclosed in um, this um, particular um, social movement? Can, in short, one identify in Black Lives Matter um, any distinctive political ideology um, or program? So my aim really, in a sense, it's, it's, this is where the work here forms part of a wider project I'm engaged in trying to think about the relationship between ideology and crime and justice, um, and to try and um, uncover resources for a better politics of crime and justice. That there is a, a kind of task to be done to try and reconstruct and offer a sympathetic interpretation and appraisal of the preferred conceptions of the future that one finds. Um, in Black Lives Matter. Um, and that's really what I want to talk to you about for the rest of today. Um, and what I want to say um, is, um, is very provisional. And what I want to say is, is being said in the understanding that I'm both joining a conversation and trying to take that conversation in a particular direction. And the value in trying to do it is in a sense to try and bring into view um, to enable us to um, um, to to subject to to um, discussion and evaluation and mobilisation um, an alternative vision for how one might think about questions of safety um, and justice. That's the kind of connection, I think, to the hope that one finds um, on the streets of the cities across much of the world um, at present. Um, now that task um, faces. Um, Two, two immediate questions, um, which I just want to raise, I don't particularly want to dwell on them in particular now. Um, um, the first is it's very easy to say um, that, that Black Lives Matter has no coherent ideology, that it is principally a movement in action. Um, it's, um, it's not something that can very easily be fixed. Um, but I don't think the job I have in mind is trying to fix um, fix the meaning of this movement to impose a kind of some kind of spurious um, unity on what is clearly a very diverse set of actors and and protest groups and movements but instead to try and um, but kind of emphasize the different kind of strands and political um, options and possibilities that one finds in Black Lives Matter but at the same time to try and bring to bear um, um, or tease out the kind of ideas and ideologies that are at play in this social movement and the different kinds of futures that they that they um, configure. Um, and this this is the task of reconstruction and appraisal that that, um, that I have in mind. Um, there is secondly a kind of um, a kind of methodological question about where one looks, what one counts as um, what one counts as resources for such a task, and what are the boundaries of of the boundaries of such a, a, a exploration. Um, um, 
whether one wants to include and I think one should both both kind of academic tracks and memoirs um, but also campaign materials policy statements um, videos instagrams there is a there is a one might find the answers to the questions that I have in mind in a whole um, diversity of places so really what I want to do for the remainder of, of today is, is really often no more than a, a sketch of what such a reconstruction might look like not on not on um, in any expectation that that's a settled view, either my settled view or, uh, or, or a settled view of any kind, but as an attempt to kind of um, offer a foray into a territory which others might wish um, uh, wish to um, join. So both uh, what follows is, is at the moment descriptively rather thin and conceptually rather provisional, um, but one helps nonetheless that um, it may be of some um, assistance. So Black Lives Matter is, seems it's clearly a, a movement animated by, by police violence and has a set of programmatic demands that start with the police. And we, I think, need to start our excavation there. And in that, in this terms, we might try and outline and situate the kind of um, the demands and claims of this social movement in terms of in terms of what I just might describe as three moments. Um, first, um, what one might call controlling police power or what I've um, um, and I'm not sure how committed I am to this as a notion but what one might call a kind of radical liberal moment um, and this is a this is a commitment to trying to reduce the power of the police in ways that make that organization respect and uphold the dignity of black people to limit the capacity of the police to harass stop and frisk detain maim and kill with impunity this is partly a matter of legal activism reform it's partly about getting to grips with the problem of police unions. It's partly about trying to activate the capacity of local politics to exercise effective constraining control over police departments. So the kinds of things that typically come up here are bans on chokeholds, imposing a duty of off on officers to intercede against the excessive actions of their colleagues, bans on no-knock entry, the end of qualified immunity. Um, and the task at hand, and you see this in the work of um, groups like Campaign Zero and the Use of Fourth Project, is both to expose the inability of existing reform programmes to tackle entrenched programmes of police abuse, and to offer a kind of radical alternative pole or paths towards that goal, um, to, towards the goal of radically constraining the power of the police to, to um, enact racialized force um, over um, over blacks and other minority or subjugated um, people. So that strikes me as one limb that one, what, that one can discern. Um, a second limb, however, flows from a kind of a kind of impatience um, with with much of the, that that of that controlling agenda, and a more generalized impatience. Um, with a kind of lib with the kind of liberal police reform agenda that has flowed from previous iterations of police violence, um, one that routinely promises and routinely fails to, in some sense, make the police better through implicit bias training or procedural justice reforms or body worn cameras. One of the things that's been very striking um, watching the events of the last few weeks unfold is is a sense that that agenda feels exhausted the sense of impatience of, of any attempt to go back around that track in the promise that it'll deliver anything but 
the same depressing um, outcomes or, or lack of outcomes. Um, so in some ways that that reform program has has for many in the Black Lives Matter movement itself become the enemy. That the part of the part of what this movement requires is a refusal to be seduced back down that road. And I think it's out of that refusal um, that has emerged a series of ideas that have been about um, more or less radically decentering the police from how we think about public safety and justice. Um, different kinds of vernaculars are used to try and articulate this idea, defund, shrink, disband, abolish. It comes in more or less radical forms. Um, sometimes they are um, importantly mobilizing slogans, increasingly they're being attended by um, more or less concrete um, proposals. And it seems in this context that there are there are different kinds of there are different kinds of um, lines of thought and activity um, um, that are at play here, which you might be worth trying to distinguish. I just briefly want to want to set them out. Um, I think the the most modest. Um, it's not modest in the sense that were it to be successful, this will be a great step in a progressive direction. Is um, is simply to shrink shrink the police. Um, shrink budgets and numbers and footprint. This is done against the backdrop in which over a long history, certainly in the States, um, 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 the police have swallowed up um, disproportionate amounts of public budgets. Um, where police numbers of, of police numbers and budgets have swelled, while other forms of spending on um, public welfare and associated support programs has either um, flatlined or um, reduced. Um, so the claim here, the ambition here is in a sense to stem the, out, the upward flow, to challenge um, the ways in which um, the police have colonised um, either through the, the rhetorical power of the ideology of, of, of crime control and fear of crime or through the organisational power and um, and campaign funding of police unions have managed to colonize public budgets, to start to do things like disengage the police from schools, to, to shrink the footprint of that agency. Um, now that, that plays out in different ways in different countries. It, 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 it plays out differently in where I am in the United States, in the United Kingdom, for instance, not least because um, police budgets have shrunk quite radically in the last um, decade or so. Um, but so of all public budgets. Um, so that I think that means that the, the, the defund movement in that context might have less um, legs than it gets in an American context. Um, but it raises some of the similar kinds of um, questions that kick in in various parts of the world to do with the extent to which police become used as a default way of handling a range of social problems which are best dealt with through other agencies and through other interpretive lenses, whether that be health or education or welfare um, and the like. Which brings us to the second way in which this, this um, um, de-policing strategy gets mobilised, which is about defunding and divesting. So this isn't, the claim here is not just let's just shrink police and police budgets, but let's actually redirect money that the police have colonised um, elsewhere and to think about and act on questions of safety, poverty, education, health and mental health in ways that prevent them from defaulting to the police 
as the agency who handles them, with all that has long entailed, especially for, for black Americans and for marginalized communities um, anywhere. So the task here is effectively to redirect public money um, towards social work, towards community responders, towards um, different kinds of community programs for, for dealing with domestic violence um, um, and the like. The third and most um, radical version of this de-policing movement um, has involved, and we've, we've seen this very clearly in the protests of the last several weeks, um, the renewed um, application to the police of an idea that's been more typically associated with um, radical internal alternatives to imprisonment, namely abolition or, or disbanding the police. Um, this again, uh, this, this again comes in, I think, two, two, two strands most, to slightly simplify things. Um, one version of this is, is to say that, that, police, that, that police departments have become um, so sclerotic, so um, dysfunctional, so committed to a certain kind of project of racialized control, so difficult to reform that effectively you have to disband them and then start again. This, I think this is a position that Tracy Mears from Yale kind of articulates, for instance. Um, and the argument is that in a sense, only when this is done, can you start to rebuild some, some police, some version of what we call police um, from scratch. Or as, um, as the Black Lives Matter activist, um, Doreen McKesson puts it, it says it's only when we've, um, we've defunded the police, when we've moved the conversation somewhere else, um, when we've actually, as it were, cleared the slate. It's only then, he says, that we might be able to return safely to the question of what one actually does on those occasions in, in black communities, um, any community where intense intervention is actually required. That might require something that looks like a police force, it might not. Um, but the, the, the ambition here is in a sense to defer that question um, until such time as you've uncoupled that kind of strong rhetorical link between public safety and um, policing. The more radical abolitionist version of this is to disband the police and to not reassemble them in any form. It's to try and to try and get us all to imagine a world beyond and without police, a world in which we've kind of relocated public safety and harm reduction in some kind of community um, strategy. Um, um, we might have a long discussion about, about how to think about that and what that might mean, but it's been very telling um, that that previously radical demand has surfaced in the discourse over the last um, several weeks, so that, that many people, not just inside the Black Lives Matter, are actually trying to think about that question. And I think, um, irrespective of the view you eventually come to on that question, what this, in a sense, the, the de-policing, defunding, disbanding moment has done is encourage us all, not just in the States, in many parts of the world, um, to reimagine urban life and government to think about harm prevention and public safety without resort to the police or most radically without resort to the police, less radically, without resort to the police in the first instance. In other words, to break that umbilical cord that leads so many people just to kind of, as it were, naturally, as if it's just a piece of uncontested common sense, 
to reach for the police when they're thinking about crime prevention um, and public safety. Um, that seems to me to be um, something that we all can think harder about in many contexts, um, both as a movement for trying to um, scale down the way in which the police have colonized both our imaginations and public budgets, and to think about ways to radically socialize questions of safety and justice through programs of care, into education, housing, and the like, all of which feature very prominently in the literature and programmatic, programmatic statements of, of Black Lives um, Matter. And it's for that reason that I kind of think if you want to kind of locate this element of Black Lives Matter in a kind of familiar political or ideological landscape, you might describe this as the kind of radical socialist movement, moment um, inside that movement. Um, the third moment I just want to talk briefly about, um, I, uh, I'm minded to think about at the moment as a kind of radical democratic moment. Um, it's, a, it's a moment that tries to articulate some vision of, um, of neighborhood control. In other words, it's a kind of idea which refuses, um, and this comes back to the kind of exhaustion of certain kinds of liberal reform agendas, that refuses to be seduced by incorporation into existing sites of police consultation, community engagement, community listening, in favor of a project which seeks to develop and experiment with deeper, more democratic forms of neighborhood control, either over police departments or over public safety projects. Um, and since we're being invited to, to think about what that might look like, what much more active community participation in controlling and directing the resources and priorities of police departments and bringing them to account might actually start to look like. Or more radically of trying to um, imagine community participation over um, public safety budgets um, beyond the police through programs of people's budgeting, participatory budgeting um, and the like. And in each case, what's uh, I think at stake here um, is, is a contest um, not just between kind of existing ways, uh, ways um, of doing things, but a contest that invites us to think about the limits and exhaustion of certain liberal ways of thinking about um, controlling and regulating the police and to open our minds to what some form of much more participatory or radical forms of community self-governance in relation to public safety might look like. And what Black Lives Matter has kind of done, I think, is to say, well, the, the, the things in which many um, uh, liberals have invested clearly not worked in the context in which we live. Um, and we need to think about other political forms through which we can regulate and direct something we call policing and through which we might want to think about questions of harm prevention, um, uh, conflict management, community justice, um, and so on and so forth. Now, in all these respects, um, Black Lives Matter very clearly is a movement provoked by the police. But I also think it's not, in the end, a movement about policing. It's a movement to end police brutality, but it's not, but it has a, a political vision that extends beyond that brutality. It has a vision which is about how you imagine forms of um, public safety and policing, if you like, 
which are consistent with dignified treatment of black and minority and all, um, all those who live in race class subjugated communities. But also, as it were, from that point reaches out into and opens up a series of wider um, questions. And I, and I, I have no intention, um, and still less the kind of time um, to try and answer those questions now. Um, but I just want to kind of, uh, I want to kind of leave them, as it were, um, hanging for, for, for further deliberation discussion. And I think they re re revolve around questions of equality, questions of the state and questions of democracy. I think first, in respect to the first, what Black Lives Matter is asking, the question it's asking, is whether it's possible to reform a police force devoted to racialized penal control without affecting a wider transformation in entrenched patterns of racial privilege and domination. In so doing, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of promises, if you like, um, an experiment. It kind of puts to test um, the, the question of whether one might think of the police uh, as um, in kind of Marxist terms, as a kind of epiphenomenal institution. That if you want to do anything about the police, you really ought to deal with um, the system of racialized inequality, which the police are play their part in upholding first. So, in other words, it's equality first, police reform um, later. I think um, Black Lives Matter, in a way, is kind of pushing at the limits of that way of thinking about the relationship between police and society, police and state, and is encouraging maybe um, us to think. Um, in the terms outlined several years ago by the Brazilian social theorist Roberto Unger, who encourages us to think of the, the institutional arrangements of unjust societies of being um, loosely coupled and capable of being remade piece, piece by piece, not through one single um, uh, transformational moment or not through some kind of a priori um, theoretical ordering that says you need to deal with X and then Y will follow. And what, in this sense, I think what Black Lives Matter is trying to do is, is, is opening up a space for in this regard, is thinking about, um, not out of choice, but out of necessity, thinking about um, um, acting on policing as a way um, through to a more equal society, and therefore um, um, encouraging us to think about um, um, the extent to which the police can be, as it were, uncoupled and remade as, an, as, a, um, um, as a vehicle for trying to um, make um, that more equal society. The second thing I want to say is, brief, is briefly this, um, that of course much of the, the, the activity, the protest, the anger of the last few weeks has been activated by another police killing. Um, but I think that, that that anger tries to connect that killing, indeed all police killings, to a much more radical question about the capacities and failings of, in, in the immediate case of the American state, um, an American state which, as David Gold has recently pointed out, has long been organised in such a way that it emphasises um, a kind of penal route to order rather than a kind of social route to order. What Black lay what Black Lives Matter, I think, is doing, not only in the American context, but elsewhere, is asking a question about whether it's possible to reimagine a state, not as a source 
of penal control and racialized ordering, um, but to reimagine it as a as a vehicle of provision and protection for um, black citizens, and is getting us to think about what that might look like and might um, require. This in turn relates just to the final thing I want to say, that this in the end isn't about policing. It, what, what's, what's at issue and at stake um, in the contest of the moment um, in the US and elsewhere is in fact a question about the meaning and practice of democracy in the world today and about whether it's possible to create the conditions for collective or self-government enable in ways that enable all of us, black and subjugated citizens, but indeed all of us to see themselves and ourselves as the authors of the institutions that govern us, not, um, not our disposable, not, not as its disposable um, objects. That's the question that seems to me to be ultimately at stake. It's a question that starts with policing. It's a question that ends with being about the quality and possibilities of democratic governance in the world today. Thank you.